0: this is anthony desiato director of the documentary film my comic shop country and this is heroes home base podcast episode 19
1: all right welcome into another episode this is rich this is mark this is rob a lot of stuff going on guys how are we doing I'm great. I'm great.
2: Uh, Rob, I think you have some exciting news to tell us.
3: Yeah, man. What's going on in your world? Um, officially a father of three. Woo. My uh, daughter was born on Wednesday evening, you know, comic book Wednesday. Oh, nice. um, so we're uh, adjusting to uh, managing having a six-year-old, a two-year-old, and now a four-day-old slash three day old. So,
2: so, so, oh, so give me oh, so give me
1: give me some details. So birth date, time, weight, length, you know, all the good stuff.
3: So she was born on May sixth at nine thirty three PM. Came in at nine pounds, uh, ten ounces. So six ounces short of a uh ten pound baby. Uh she is twenty inches long. So she is the shortest of my kids, but the heaviest of my kids. <laughs> so um been a couple days in the hospital uh obviously due to um you know what we've already digressed about on this podcast several episodes now um couldn't leave had to stay uh as the support person that's maternity is like one of the exceptions so that was nice uh folks I know were cause you watch. were
1: worried there for a minute that you weren't going to be able to be in the room and be there for it right um pretty early on
3: uh I, I knew that that was an exception. Becky had thought, would it be okay if she just did it alone and I would stay with the kids? And I was like, you yeah, know, that's bullshit. That's not happening. So, uh, our folks were kind enough to watch our other kids. They've been kind of staying in extra quarantine. Um, so they were able to watch my other kids, which was very, very helpful. I know, um, I know
1: that this is, uh, this is uh this will probably be uh, um, released a few weeks from now but today is actually Mother's Day so it's pretty cool that you had your daughter right before Mother's Day so happy Mother's Day Becky. that's right <laughs> and happy Mother's yeah. Day to my wife Kim and all the other mothers out there That's right Happy Mother's day um so things
3: are a little crazy but uh, I get I get a few weeks off from work so I'm looking forward to maybe um reading some more than I usually get to while also kind of balancing the, um, uh, sleep schedule that's currently going on. Um,
1: <laughs> sleep her, schedule or the lack thereof, of a sleep schedule.
3: Right. I mean, that's just kind of, kind of common. I'm really glad I, I sleep trained our, our middle child now, um, about a month before. So he's been sleeping a lot more consistently at night, but I think I'm looking forward to just a little bit of downtime I, I think that's definitely needed for my soul. Definitely needed for mentally and emotionally as a, a parent of three. So I'm just a few days into that. So looking forward to it. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. It's Becky's doing great. Um, she's recovering. It was a little little difficult this time around due to her size. But I get to be a little bit more active, at least in the hospital and, and so far at home, since um, we have to supplement feed her for a little while because her weight her blood sugar was kind of uh, getting too low so I had to um, syringe feed her a little bit um, so I continue to do that uh, here at home after she feeds so it's been it's been a different experience but so far so good Becky already thinks she's a daddy's girl so I seem to be able to boom hold her in my arms and she seems to be pretty content so
1: nice great
3: check in with me in a few days and the <laughs> equation might be completely different. So
1: it's almost it's checking every, check in every 30 minutes. Um, That's right. In other news, we did get another uh, email. Let me go ahead and uh, go through this real quick. This is from Sean Patterson. He says, Hey boys, I finally caught up with all of the shows and wanted to shoot an email to you all. The progression of chemistry between you three and excellent interviews have been on point since the first episode. The longer shows have been awesome as well too, as it doesn't feel rushed and you guys get to all subjects. I have been listening to the show at work and it does help pass the time. And I want to thank you guys for that. Continue the great work nice. and great content, boys. Sean Patterson.
3: Thank you, Sean Patterson.
1: So, oh,
3: Mr. Patterson, known I'm him, seen his face more often,
1: known him for quite a while worked at a couple different companies with him and maybe possibility, maybe have him on a home-based communications here in the future, maybe possibly. So that'd be good. So well, in other fan of the genre, yes, <laughs> very much. So, um, so in other news, I think that, uh, at the end of our last episode, we talked about, uh, checking out the documentary that we came across the, uh, my comic shop country documentary, uh, What did you guys think? And I I know we pretty much all dug into that. So Mark, why don't you take it away? What were your thoughts, bub? It
2: was excellent. I loved it so much that I rented it and then I bought it. I've seen that documentary now about four times. I loved it that much. I mean, there's just the sense of camaraderie that he was able to capture in his documentary was awesome. I mean, it just renewed a sense of community within myself and something that I haven't felt since I worked in the comic book store. And I thought he just did an excellent job of capturing all the different stores that he went to and turned us on to some new stores that I plan on visiting. Um,
1: how many did he future, actually go to? in the I movie? Just, was it like 10 or, or how many was it? 20 that he went to in the, in the movie?
2: It was
1: nine. Okay.
2: Oh no. Nine States, 20 stores. Okay. Excuse me. He did an excellent job. I wish there was more content like that out there.
1: Absolutely, I was gonna say I did exactly what you did. I rented it first, and uh, I loved it so much that I went and bought it. So it's almost it's almost better that way because I think it's like a four dollar rental, and then to buy it was like nine ninety nine, so ten bucks. So I'm glad to support him mm-hmm. and uh, by renting it and then buying it. So ultimately, he made a little bit more money off of me. So <laughs> and I you know and I I I resonate with what you said, Mark. It was just it, it really hit home for me because it was really about the 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 backdrop of the of him touring other stores but the main focus that i took away from it was him re um establishing the core group of guys in the club that they basically had when they all worked or hung out at this comic book store and i feel like that speaks to our upbringing as friends and how we used to spend our time and I think that that's really why the film really resonated with me.
3: So I checked it out uh, after our last episode
1: and um, I haven't bought it yet
3: but I did rent it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think for me I realized at the end of it um, it kind of did a really nice job of encapsulating some of the things I haven't I've been struggling to really describe since we've started this. So you know it was about... It's been a little bit over a year now that I just started to frequent Laughing Ogre again on the regular just due to, you know, kind of where I am in life and Jensen going to Clintonville Academy last year and just being around the store more and really, you know, connecting with it again um, with a piece of my childhood and then really appreciating us getting together on the regular to talk about it because I think that the documentary encapsulates – the uh, essence of why we're even doing this podcast, that whole like love of the genre, but also love of the, the deep themes and love of the, the brotherhood sisterhood of the people that also love comics and what that, what that means on a grander scale. So I really appreciated kind of where my headspace was after I watched it, I guess is a good way of saying it. It really reminded me that I, I, I really, it was kind of renewed appreciation for The long history I have with loving comics, but also the recently rejuvenated um, love I have for the genre itself and and us getting to touch base. So that was kind of a long answer, but it did a really nice job of capturing all that.
1: Absolutely. I also – I know at least Mark and I have uh, checked out Anthony uh, Desiato's uh, podcast. It's called – what is it? Um, My Comic Shop History. Yeah, so like his first few seasons, he talks to pretty much everybody in his uh, AR core in, in the in the show. I haven't listened to all the episodes yet, but uh, I would highly recommend checking it out. He does a really nice job. I think what the first season is centered around before the story even closed, and then up into right. uh, up into uh, modern time. Because I listened to his latest episode, and he was doing a Q and A on the actual documentary, and it's it's a really good uh, really good insight so uh yeah
2: you guys are in for a big treat tonight because we got special guest anthony desiato from the the director of my comic shop country we got him on our show thanks to rich bravo shout out to rich wagner for (laughs) reaching out to
1: him and getting him on our show unfortunately during this interview process rob was literally in the delivery room having his child so unfortunately he will not be part of the interview but uh we we fielded some of the questions that uh, he wanted to ask. So um, I was there in spirit. I was there in spirit. They're in spirit, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, without further ado, Anthony Desiato.
3: Hey, Rich, how are you? What is going on, dude? Hello.
1: Hello.
0: Hey, hey, how are you, sir? Hey, so this Anthony, is my Mark. Name is Mark, how are you? Mark, I recognize you. You've been uh, liking all of my stuff.
2: Yes. <laughs> <did>. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm telling you. I just got finished telling. Him, I said, you know, you. It's just we. We've got. We, we're like brothers from a distance. We're brothers from another. I mean, we're just so on the same page. It's not even funny. Like you just. I mean, you're <laughs> such a great time, and we really, really look forward to talking to you tonight. So thanks for taking the time with us.
0: Yeah. No, my pleasure. Um, we will be we a man down because.
1: My brother is having a baby, literally, like right now.
2: <laughs> oh, very tiny.
1: Yeah, so.
2: So, Anthony, I got to tell you, you know, your documentary was really, really well done. It was excellent. And I got to tell you, you really just, I, I bought it. I rented it first, and then I bought it, and I've seen it about four times. Wow. I did because I thought, because you really just restored a sense of community within myself that I had. Because I started working at a comic book store called Comic Connection in Columbus, Ohio, and that was my after-school job. I walked in there and I started bagging and boards, and he's like, why don't you pick yourself out a few comics as payment? Because I was too young for them to pay me money, and that's where my collection began. And I what really, really struck me is that I was actually, I live in Brooklyn now, but I was born in Yonkers. I grew up off of Warburton Avenue. And oh, okay. Yeah, and I used to go to the Dragon's Den at Cross County. Do you remember that one?
0: Oh, I sure do. <laughs> the
2: one I, There's another one on Central Avenue that I didn't frequent. I think that store, may, from, if I can remember correctly, I think that store was bigger than the one at Cross County.
0: Yeah, um, and it's funny. So the one on Central Avenue in Yonkers, um, right across the street was one if by cards, two if by comics, and then up the road a little bit was the shop where I worked, Alternate Realities. So. For a period of time in the '90s, you had three major stores, you know, within you know a half a mile. It was crazy, um, and now wow. one of my cards is still there. It's called American Legends now, uh, but of course, Dragon's Den and Alternate Realities are gone. So, yeah, the Westchester County comic scene um, really changed a lot. But for a time, you had you know a lot of big stores in a relatively uh, you know small geographic area.
1: I think yeah, the biggest did... thing that I took away from it was. Listening to some of your guests on the on the movie talk about how there's really only three thousand retailers still operating to this day like that's crazy how many how many were they saying were around originally
0: oh like 12,000 I think 12,000 or more that was crazy
2: yeah
1: I mean
0: uh uh, yeah for sure
1: so can you tell
2: us you know I what how many comics do you actually have yourself funny enough
0: uh so over the years um I mean I used to be an, an avid reader and collector and I was there every week and I was you know buying the single issues um I don't remember how many offhand I had. I mean, it was a a good number of short boxes, basically a closet full. Um, But over the years, I've divested myself of all of the single issues. I sold them off through various channels over the years um, and switched over to graphic novels. So my actual single issue collection is really just a a box or two at this point. Um, But uh, everything now is is in graphic novel
1: form. You didn't do the Uh, old Kevin Smith thing where you sold your whole collection to make a documentary, did you?
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't do
0: that. I didn't do that. No, we did the Kickstarter for that.
2: (laughs) Which, you know, I'm surprised you didn't have Jay and Silent Bob's cash in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have a direct line to them.
0: Um, Perhaps could have, you know, gotten to them in some way, but... I wanted to shine a light on, on some other stores and, you know, the Stash in particular. Like, they, you know, they had their own TV show for years. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it certainly would have been interesting. Like, I think there could be value in that for sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, for this, it was really more, more of the mom-and-pop shops. And, um, and, yeah, shining a light on stores that typically don't have it. Gotcha.
2: Excellent. Well, I, I got to tell you, you did such a great job on educating people on how hard it is to run a comic book store and that it's not all fun and games and you did a great job of shedding the light on the no returnability factor because as a teenager as i worked there it was just an after-school job for me but i didn't have to deal with the books involved you know so you did a great job on shining it's not easy it's very very difficult yeah i mean it's
0: a tough business and i you know uh Again, I worked at a store for a long time but but so going back so about the returnability, um, yeah, it's interesting cause, like I worked at a, at a store obviously for a number of years and so I got to you know uh, get a peek behind the curtain and see what went on you know behind the, the scenes of the store. Um, but even still, you know I was an employee, I didn't have the level of burden and responsibility that the owner did. so you know I certainly uh, appreciated the difficulty in not being able to return stuff, but again, I didn't, I didn't have to carry that myself. but it's it was really interesting, you know talking to all of these other retailers through the podcast and through the documentary um, and getting a sense of you know really, like any small business is tough, but with the comic shop in particular, I mean, I really think there are certain challenges that are really distinct to the the comic shop model and the way the direct market is set up. And certainly lack of returnability is, is a big piece of it. Um, delinquent customers as well.
2: Um, yeah. You know,
0: trying to gauge how many copies to order. You know, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot that's at play that, um, you know, obviously some things translate to other small businesses, but, you know, other aspects that I think are really unique to
1: comic shops. I was going to bring that up because I was actually listening to your podcast today when I was doing some yard work and... Uh, the big thing was you got to innovate and a lot of the uh, a thing you focused in the movie was the people didn't want pops and you had a couple that were like yeah we're an old school comic shop we're just doing comics we're not doing anything over the top but it's like nowadays going through all this COVID-19 bullshit it's like they gotta find something to survive and I'm not gonna say I'm a pop collector I've got a few of them I think they're funny I think they're You know, you can get anything. I'm sure there'll be one of you someday. I'm just saying, like, I don't see why you can't stock it in the store. And, like, the one guy said, I I never had the right one, so fuck it. I'm not going to keep doing that. But... I just I, I I don't know. I think we should touch on that a little bit. Like what do you think are some of the the key innovative things that businesses are gonna have to do? Obviously, like a lot of stores are doing mail order right now. They're trying to keep the lights on, like keep other people employed. like the one the store that uh, the owner that we we talked to on this show before, they're doing Monday mail orders while they're closed, and they're also, you know, they're trying to come up with other ways. They did a uh, goFundMe account to pay the 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 staff and stuff like that. but. What do you think innovation-wise is going to be coming forward?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a big question as far as what the landscape will look like after this current crisis. I mean, I think, you know, obviously there are plenty of stores that already, you know, had a, uh, you know, an online store and did mail order and things like that, but a lot that didn't. And, you know, yeah. now they had to get up and running. And, I, you know, I would imagine that stores um that have implemented that will i mean i would hope they would continue to develop that and i would hope that any stores who maybe didn't or couldn't do it now will do it in the future um because i think yeah i mean this has shown like you know what what could potentially happen if you literally can't have people in your store so i definitely think an online store mail order i think those are things you know an ebay store however however stores set it up i think that's something that they they would be wise to do and then going back to what you were saying about the pops and this idea of diversifying. I did talk about this in the literally the podcast that I put out today. But, um, you know, we use the pops as sort of the lightning rod for this discussion in the documentary. And I, I yeah. am a fan of the pops, but I also get why people don't like them. So
1: it's right. <clears throat>
0: interesting for me. Uh, and I wanted to, I, I felt that the pops like really encapsulated this, this debate, but like, I wouldn't go so far as to say, Oh, any, every store should carry pops. You know, you have to see what works for your market, but I do think stores, you know, should be diversified to some extent. I mean, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. And so again, we're in a in a situation right now where literally there's no new product coming out. So right. it's like, if new comics is really all you do, you're, you're really stuck right now. So you know whether it's pops or um, you know just you know, whether back issues or or you know vast graphic novel library or toys like whatever it is gaming, um, you know depending on what your market is, is into I do think that's smart. So I think diversity in terms of what you sell, and then um, yeah, really some means of online distribution. I really think that's um, this crisis in particular is sh- yeah. is showing the need for that.
1: I know we were talking to uh, Gib, the guy who runs the store that we go to here. Where um, we really want to support the brick and mortar, like that's like a key, and it's, it's cool that people like Jim Lee are doing like the sketches and the and you know the auctions and stuff like that to support that. And it's like, I think some of them are scared to do like online because they're thinking they're going to have to discount stuff because they don't want to lose what little margin they have, you know what I mean? So like I think a lot of them stay away from that online stuff. But like me, I, I don't want to buy, if I'm looking for a key issue, obviously I'm going to go to the store and say, hey, do you have Swamp Thing number 20, Alan Moore's first Swamp Thing or something like that, before I go and hit an, an eBay store or something like that. If they don't have it, then yeah, I might have to go that route. But it's like, I just hope that after this, everybody's still supporting the brick and mortar like we all hope they will be.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, again, you know,
1: who can really say what will happen, but
0: i don't know from what i'm seeing online i mean it seems like a lot of people have stepped up to support their local shops like you're saying um so that's always encouraging and a lot of people you know talking about how much they miss their shop i mean that's i guess one of the biggest and most consistent pieces of feedback i've gotten on the on the documentary which is great is that people i think it's sort of helping them scratch that itch a little bit of not being able to get to the store um and a few people have said that it kind of um you know, made them, it gave them new appreciation for what their shops go through on a regular basis. Yeah. And that they would make more of an effort to go in the future. And I think that's great. And so I think, I think people are realizing, you know, how much, you know, how important the comic shop is. It's one of those things, right? Like you don't appreciate it until it's gone. And so, yeah. you know, obviously you see in the movie, it's like it's such a big part of people's routines. And now we're, that routine has been shattered. And so, yeah, I guess the risk and the possibility is always that, um, you know, once it's not part of the routine anymore, it you know, people kind of forget about it. But I would like to think that for most comics fans, um, you know, if anything, this will be a motivator to you yeah. know want to get back there in a big way as soon as they're able to.
2: Yeah. You said a great line in the documentary. You said it's a place between work and home. And I thought that was so cool. Have you since the since A&R has closed, have you we kind of been able to recreate that sense of community that you had in that store? No,
0: and I think that's kind of you know one of the drivers for making this documentary was sort of uh, you know, trying to see if if I could find something like that elsewhere. and there are definitely stores that um, you know kind of uh, replicate some of that vibe that I experienced at my store. But there's and I have there are a couple of shops um, that are local to me that are great stores. they're they're in the movie. Um, but, there's no store that's really um, like that. even come close to being part of my routine the way Alternate Realities was, and you know I don't know that it's fair to expect that. I mean, it was you know one of the guys in the movie says it was like lightning in a bottle, and that's kind of what it was for me and for a lot of us. Yeah. It's like the age at which I started shopping there and then working there. I mean, the the working there in particular was you know was such a formative experience, and um, you know I made so many friendships and you know, so much that's wrapped up in that. Um, so yeah, I don't know that it's, it's even realistic to expect another store <laughs> to come close, but, but no, I haven't. And so, you know, like my heart really goes out to people who are missing their stores right now. Cause like I've, I've been missing mine for five years since it closed. Yeah. Uh, so I I know what it's like when you have that place that is such a part of your routine and then it's, it's just not there.
1: I wanted to, to talk about, um, two, two things really. Um, so you were obviously at AR when it was at, at its heyday or its peak or whatever. And then a lot of, a lot of your friends say that it was a very sick store towards the end. And, uh, I, I don't think that I share the same experience in that regard, but like when I was collecting, uh, before I stopped and then got back into it, uh, our comic store had changed hands. Like they had sold the business to a franchise that had two other stores and the guy that knew everybody and, you You walk in and he already had his your comics in his hand. and like it wasn't him running the shot. He was there, but he wasn't running it per se, like it was. And I remember when he left originally, and he he stated it was like pet cemetery. It was still here, but it was something totally and completely different. And it was time for him to step away. Do you felt like that was a transition of your store from like where it was like great? and then it was just like slowly dying?
0: Oh man, the downfall of, of alternate realities. I mean, I think well, it's interesting because if you hear the owner tell it, I mean, he feels like he you know he went out on top um, mm-hmm. because he you know he wasn't forced to close. He didn't go out of business. He you know, he decided to cl- to close the store. Um, but and you know this is you know we touch on this in the movie. But for him, I think I mean I think there were a number of factors. Um, and he for years had said like I'm only going to do this you know, for a little bit longer. I'm not going to renew the lease. And then he always did. So it was sort of like the boy who cried wolf. Like,
1: yeah, you couldn't believe he was him
0: always. Ta- yeah. He was like always talking about closing. And then, so we were all, I think a bit surprised when Ashley did it. Um, but as far as what precipitated it, I think, you know, it was a mix of things. I really just think the, the grind, of the business got to him and he had been doing it literally for you know over two decades at that point so i think that's understandable i think his passion for comics and for the hobby really diminished and i think that's it's a it's a tough thing like actually um the next episode of my podcast i have uh the new owner of fat moose comics um okay He's in the documentary as a as an employee, but now he's since the movie he's taken over the store. And that's actually one of the things I asked him. It's like, you know, do you think you'd be able to pinpoint now as the owner yourself? Like if you got to that point where you were losing your your passion for it and you needed to step away, like do you think you could you could recognize that? And so, you know, for Steve at, at AR, I think that's definitely what happened where um, you know, he just didn't have the passion for it. It was a grind. Um, And then, you know, not that it's all about the staff, but I do think that was another wrinkle because for years there were sort of different generations of workers at the store. Um, Uh. Like I would say I was probably the – I guess you could say maybe there were three main generations and I was the second. Um, But in the first and the second, there were guys who like genuinely cared and would kind of push Steve to – you know to have sales or rearrange the store or or whatever and we we did take initiative and i think steve needed that a little bit sometimes and sort of in the last you know iteration of of staff at the store um nothing horrible but they're just i don't think there was that that level of engagement there and i think a bit of complacency kind of set in and um you know when we say the store was sick it's like um you know, it was just cluttered. Like, the product wasn't, you know, turning over. You know, if Steve yeah. bought a collection, it would sit for a long time. I mean, again, there's a whole sequence in the movie where you see what's happened to all of the remaining stock. You know, he's keeping it in these warehouse Yeah, I was going to say,
1: is it still in the warehouse storage unit? It's such gems.
2: Oh. In that, even in that small <laughs> clip, I was like, oh my God. Did you know it's in that first closet? Oh my gosh, just in that small clip, I was like, holy crap. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you
0: know, it was the sort of thing where, um, I think the store really would have needed a shot in the arm in some way, shape or form to, to kind of keep going. Um, and you know, and that didn't happen. All
1: right, let's talk about ghosting. Did, uh, how many, how many customers really did affect AR when it came to just ghosting on their polls and didn't come and get their stuff?
0: I mean, I don't have a hard number, but yeah, it definitely was, it definitely was an issue. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, For and this is a little bit in the documentary, it's even more so in the first season of my podcast, we really get into this. But, um, you know, I think for us, there was not to speak for other people, but at least for myself, there was a little frustration when Steve announced the closing because he really put all of it on the delinquent customers who didn't come to pick up their stuff. And it definitely was an issue. But I guess from my perspective, I always felt that if it's that much of an issue that it's going to make you want to close the store, then there are certain measures you need to take, like you need to enforce your your policy. And there are official store policy was you have to come in, I think, every three weeks or something. Yeah. And so, you know, he would have people who would go well past that, and he was still pulling from for them. And you know, his counter argument was always, well, uh, you know, every now and then, like they'll actually come in, and it's like, well, that's true, but if the majority of those people, those delinquent customers, don't, it's it's not worth it, and especially if it's driving you to want to close the store. Right. You know, I, I guess it frustrated me if like at least try some of these other measures. I love Steve, by the way, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, we you know, know, you know, but there's definitely that, you know, that piece of it. So, um, we're delinquent customers, an issue, no doubt. Uh, again, I don't have a hard number. Again, from my perspective, I always felt that he, Steve could have mitigated his damages and, you know, for every measure that I can mention, I, he had a counter argument for it, right? Like, well, why don't you take a credit card? Well, you know, they might not give you a valid credit card number. (laughs) Like any number, they might dispute the charge. Like there's a counter argument for everything. I get that. But again, from my perspective, it's just like, if if that's going to be the reason for you to close, you have to try. Um, But I think, I really think, even though that was what he put forth publicly as the reason, uh, I just, I think it really was just the, 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 you know, kind of being worn down from running the business. I really think that was at the heart of it but um, but there was anger there towards those customers and so when he made that announcement like it was really channeled in that yeah. direction
1: I think that Mark Wade in your in your documentary said it the best like how the hell can I get my story from my brain to the books and then the retailers have to guesstimate how many copies they need to order and I, I could see where he gets frustrated because like the the poll customers are the ones that you know you can count on to order okay I know I need ten people that want You know, Avengers, I'm going to order 10 at least for them. And then how many, I should have to do the backwards math for how many are going to go on the new release wall. Like, and then to find out that, you know, a quarter of your your loyal customers aren't even picking up their stuff, I I could see where he gets frustrated with it. But it, it is true. Like, it goes back to what Mark was saying about the returnability. Like, this has got to be the only industry where you get absolutely jack shit from you know getting any return on your investment and you're already making next to nothing on the stuff
0: yeah it's a it's a real tough business and you know again occasionally prof- uh, uh, publishers will have um, you know limited returnability on things like that but you know again generally that's not the policy and so I suppose most, when you look at a lot of the issues wrapped up in like why it's hard to run a comic shop, I, I most, if not all of them come back to the lack of returnability, right? Like if like delinquent customers wouldn't be so much of a problem if you could return the books, um, gauging how many copies to order wouldn't be so tough if you overorder and you can send them back, right? It all kind of comes back to this, this lack of returnability. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really tough. And, you know, uh, you know, again, trying to guess how many you need, it's like, yeah, you have your right the pullest customers, and and yeah, you hope you can count on them, but that's not always a given. And then, you know, so much guesswork as far as how many you need for the shelves. Really, it is. It's not easy.
1: I think, like this day and age, though, like with social media, and I mean, I think as fans, you would follow a lot of your your publishers, your creators, and stuff, and and you would know what big titles are going to come out. And I know you touched on this on one of your podcasts about how. They got to look at a preview's magazine with a couple sentences describing what this book is going to be, and how the hell do I know if it's going to be a success or not? And do I need to order a hundred copies or fifty copies? So it's like, I think the publishers could <clears throat> tell their creators, be like, "All right, Scott Snyder, all right, you know, you need to get out there and push your book, and hopefully we'll, you know, we'll see some thumbs up on social media, maybe." But I mean, how's that going to translate to the retailer? But yeah, I think that they're uh, the publisher should probably, and I get it. They don't want to. They don't want you know to spoil their stories and stuff like that. And then, but it's like your story better pay off, man. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, those are other issues, too, that are wrapped up in all of this, where, you know, the, like the qualitative aspect, you know, the fact that this is art, you know, so right there aren't really objective standards that it's like, okay, this is a well made comic, it's gonna sell, it's like, it's art, it's subjective, people <laughs> might like yeah. it or not, um, you know, so that's tough. And then, but what you're saying, I think really gets at something that um, really has kind of been, you know, part of the documentary and the podcast. And it's something that I've, I guess, always been curious about. It's just this, like the level of risk and responsibility that comic shops bear relative to the other players in the industry, like the publishers and the distributor and the creators. And it's like, how much is really appropriate to put on retailers? Um, you know, like, again, there's a moment in the movie where, uh, Oh yeah, comics, they go to a local movie theater and they set up and in front of like one of the Avengers movies. And, um, like that makes a lot of sense. And I give them a lot of credit for doing it, but it's like, should that really be on a, on a store to do? Like you would, right. would kind of hope that the publishers or the movie divisions, you know, would engage in some kind of awareness Reach out, campaign yep. for these movies to be like, Hey, there, there are comics and these are your local comic shops. So yeah, I mean, again, the amount of risk borne by the, uh, the the retailers it's it's significant, especially. I mean, again, there's risk at every level for sure. Um, right. And you know, even in fairness to creators, it's like you know maybe the top creators are in, are in a, their own category, but you know, a lot of creators, they're freelancers. You know, they're they're just hustling for work themselves. So you know, I don't I'm not looking to poo poo that. They're but,
1: all, and they're all going to say my shit's awesome. So buy it.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but again I mean you know, my uh, again obviously this movie is from the perspective primarily of, of the retailers um, and that's you know the experience that I had working at a store and then talking to all these retailers um, so yeah the business aspect in particular I've, I've always been fascinated by
1: nice.
2: I want to of kind of turn it back to the actual comics itself, because for me in the movie, you guys, you you said something about how, and I had never, I never thought of of it this way because I only ever collected my issues. So I always thought my series was great. You know what I mean? I always thought everybody had that experience with the issues that they collected. I always thought they were great. And so one of the comic owners talked about like Marvel and DC phoning in certain issues because they had to make certain quotas. I never thought about it at the time that I was collecting because, again, I always thought my issues were great. And so I kind of feel that way now about some of the comics because I just don't see that kind of artist and writer combinations that you did back in the 70s and the 80s. And I just feel like it's kind of that way now. What, are you, what I know you said you primarily collect graphic novels now. So what are your kind of thoughts on it, like when you were collecting single issues, and kind of which, where where it is now, like what you see on the stands and things. How do how do you feel about it?
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I get my favorite period as a comics reader. So I'm 33. I got into comics in '92 with the death of Superman, and uh, so you know, I read. So I read Superman. I read all the Superman titles through the '90s. It was not the best time. You know, so I read through Electric Superman. and.
1: Superman Did you go back Superman and reread Word. that shit? Because it's pretty bad, man. <laughs> so I'm actually,
0: uh, I'm going to be starting up a Superman podcast uh, yes. at the end of the year. Nice. And at some point, I will revisit the 90s because I'm really curious, like really curious to revisit those stories through my adult perspective. Because yeah. as a kid, they were fine. But oh, yeah. I feel like I wouldn't feel that way now. Um, but my favorite period of, as a, as a Superman reader, but I just as a comics reader generally was, um, really like 2000 to 2005, like there were so many great runs. Uh, you had Jeff Loeb on the Superman books, uh, yes. Jeff Johns was just coming up. I mean, you know, yeah. JSA, Team Titans, Hawkman, like all that stuff, uh, Bendis on Daredevil and Alias and, and, uh, ultimate Spider-Man, like that's probably my favorite era as a comics reader. And I guess I, and I'm ultimately a DC guy at heart and I kind of, I felt a dip in quality, probably like post-infinite crisis, yep. and I don't know quite what to attribute that to if my tastes were changing, if the books really were, were, were kind of going down a little bit I don't yeah. know, uh, I really was not there for New 52, uh, that really left me cold. That's when
1: um, I. that's when I left out was when the New 52 started to take off, that was like the whole what is that, two years or whatever, I was out of it yeah, yeah,
0: yeah exactly, and then I did come back for a good bit of the Rebirth stuff and I liked a lot of that um at so, first
1: right because like i was super stoked about superman because dan jurgis was back on it and i was feeling nostalgic reading you know the 90s superman i was like the shit we got the eradicator back here we got cyborg superman and shit hell yeah and then it's like he got off of it and i'm like nah, i feel like a little bit of a disappointment
0: yeah no i mean i hear you um and so uh so again it's like i i, I wouldn't go so far as to make a blanket statement uh, you know but mm-hmm. um yeah, I mean, again, for me, like, there definitely was that that high point for me as a reader, and I I haven't quite seen that come back from my perspective, right? Um, but I like that was a, an important part that I really wanted to make sure we captured in the movie, and I was glad, you know, that was the owner of the Spider's Web who who kind of you know shared that, and uh, you know, that was an instance of a retailer being really candid and yeah, you know, right. yeah. You know sharing his frustration with what Mark, you know, and this is a guy, and he says it's one of my a line i really like in the movie where he's like even though i own all this i'm still a fanboy and that's another piece of all of this that i think sets comic shops apart because it's not generally i mean i'm sure there are some exceptions out there but i think the vast majority of retailers like they're fans and collectors themselves like that's how they start and it's i always just found it fascinating it's like a weird thing when you take your hobby you know, your passion and you turn it into a career. And it, it, you know, I think it, things shift a little bit. Um, but yeah, I was glad that he shared that because I think it it is an important piece of this.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's nice to have like a, uh, a guy kind of like your boy Lord Retail where he does the research, he does the reading. And then if somebody is legit asking questions about a book, you know, like, should I collect this? Is it good? Is it worth my time? And they have the knowledge to tell them yes or no. Like I recently, I picked up Jeff Johns Shazam when it first came out and like, I got about 12 issues in and I'm like, I fucking hate this. And I remember feeling (laughs) bad. I remember feeling bad. And I, you know, I messaged my guy at the comic store. I'm like, Hey, you know, I expected more from this book. What are your thoughts? Like, do you think it's going to get better? I I would really like to know your insight on it. Should I, should I keep collecting it or not? And he was super, he was just like, I quit that probably five issues ago. You're not the first person, you know, and I love John's man. Like his writing is the shit. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just super disappointed. And I like it that somebody who ultimately wants to sell me the book is really honest with me telling me, nah, it's not that great. I'm disappointed as well. I'll go ahead and take it off your (laughs) pole, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that sort of feedback and obviously, that's a major piece of the movie, um, and you know the the big sequence about you know the retailer recommendations. Um, yes, but but yeah, that's I think one of the things that again you know we're talking about ways in which you know comic shops kind of stand apart in terms of the challenges that they face. But then I think as far as businesses go, like they also stand apart in the the power that they possess. You know, to Absolutely. really forge those yeah. connections. And I think exactly what you're you know what you're talking about really really yeah. speaks to that. The fact that yeah you, know, you can get that kind of feedback. Um, yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's interesting, though, going back to alternate realities, like, that's what Steve wasn't doing toward, like, in the later years. Right? Like, he wasn't keeping up with everything that was coming. He wasn't reading. Um, but to his credit, and this builds off of what you were just saying, he was never one for the hard sell. And if anything, there were times he talked people out of buying stuff. Um, like, <laughs> what? <incentive covers. laughs> yeah, like, especially with variant covers. Right. Where um, that's its own its own discussion, I suppose. But, um, you know, there were times where people would be looking to buy, you know, one of these, you know, marked up uh, varying covers. And he'll be like, you really don't need that. Uh, Maybe not the best (laughs)
2: move business wise. (laughs) But
0: but I think it engendered a lot of goodwill from the customers. Because if he did tell them to buy something, they were like, "Okay," like he wouldn't just say this to make a sale um so there's there's
1: some value there's a little method to the man i remember when yeah. uh, what was it frank miller's dark knight return master race part three or whatever i swear to god there was like 12 variants for every issue that came out and like yeah you know if you didn't if you d- didn't have that relationship they be like yeah you can get this one this is frank's like th- third variant for this particular issue for you know 50 bucks like yeah i don't know about that (laughs) so i i would respect that that he was honest with him and be like yeah you really don't need that it's the same story just different cover
2: yeah exactly you know i actually i'm not collecting anything new because i'm really just not seeing anything that i like i've picked up things and you know obviously i live in brooklyn so i head over to midtown at grand central and um and I'm just not seeing anything that I like. So I'm really, really big into back issues. So, for example, I have four long boxes. So now for me, you guys really hit this in the movie talking about the thrill of the hunt. And so, yeah. two years ago, yeah, the thrill of the hunt. I mean, that's in the fetishization of holding that issue when you go through it and you actually find it. And so, I think it was two years ago, my big holy grail was X Men 101. And we actually got Chris Claremont to sign it for us. And I was curious, what were some of your holy grails in now and then? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first I'll say like, yeah, the whole the whole collectability aspect of this that was something that
0: was important to me to represent because as much as we talk about, you know, people go to shops because they like the experience, and right. that one hundred percent is a big part of it, but there is this whole other level right absolutely uh, it's not just that (laughs) so uh i really wanted to make sure that that was represented and plus it was an opportunity to um to showcase some really cool comics and collections uh so visually i was like this will this will really pop on screen um as far as me you know it's funny i don't really have i can't really say i have many grills. i will say i um Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow is one of my favorite Superman stories. And, uh, you know, I've owned it in trade paperback and hardcover, various editions over the years. But at San Diego, not San Diego, uh, New York Comic Con 2018, uh, I made it my mission. I was like, all right, I'm going to, and they're not, they're not particularly hard to track down. So Grail might be, might be too strong a word, but I did make it my mission that day. Um, And I found both of them. I, I had to search around a little bit, but I got them and it was it was great. It was 100%. Like It gave it was the thrill of the hunt. It gave my day at the convention purpose. Yeah. And I had a mission. And it was great. It was a lot of fun. So um, those were two issues I was
2: really happy to, to pick up. I love that you say that. You know, It gave it purpose and mission. Because that's what we were on that year. Remember when we were on a mission? Oh, my God, yeah. Going around for it. You know what I mean? So that's totally Your what Your book wasn't. So, yeah.
1: 101 was not hard to find. It was just how much were you willing to shell out for it? And I yeah, think for we the had condition. Like three different booths that had it at three different price points, and they were all pretty relatively the same condition. But yeah, it's I, I love the hunt. Like that's that's the biggest thing about going to conventions. But um, let me take you to um, your collectability thing that you said, because it is a whole nother level. But one thing that I really really loved was uh, I think his name was what Alan Boss, your collector that was in your movie, the toy yeah. customizer. Like, yeah. his superpower action figure wall was the shit. <laughs> yeah, I was. mean, I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> childhood, come back to me. What was, like, kind of like what Mark just said, your Holy Grail comic, what was, like, the toy for you? Like, because I have the, uh, it's basically the superpowers, but it was, like, what, a couple years later, it was the DC Comics superhero line, the Toy Biz line, that came out with the 89 Batman yeah. toys and stuff like that. So it was, like, repackaged, but... The Superman yeah, I with know the Kryptonite exactly what you're talking about. The Superman with the Kryptonite ring was my shit, and I found it at a convention, and it didn't even have the peg hook popped out of it, and it's like my Holy Grail toy. I'm looking at it right now. Like, I love it. So what is, like, your Holy Grail toy? The
0: the Kenner Superpower Superman. Um, and so, it, yeah, it's not a that's that's why that uh, that piece of the movie is there i love it dude. it's so funny so so alan alan's awesome and it's so funny like the just sort of the random connections that you make the reason alan is in the movie i i discovered his store uh it was thanksgiving i don't know 2016 i think and uh I was flipping through channels like late at night. I forget what cable station it was, but I saw that the Honeymooners was on. And I'm a massive Honeymooners
1: fan. Nice.
2: (laughs) Uh, One
0: one of the all-time greats. So so I said, oh, Honeymooners, got to watch. And there was a commercial for Alan's store. It's vintage. And I was like, this this is amazing. And I reached out to him, had him on my podcast. And then that led to him being in the movie. Um, Unfortunately, he did close his storefront. um, But... Uh, But again, he's in there, you know, representing that collector and customizer perspective. But when uh, I had seen photos, and he had described the superpowers collection, because that was the one thing he didn't bring to his store. So I never saw that in person until I went to his house to film. And Man. it was as cool as it was as cool as you would expect it
1: to Wow. to Hell yeah.
0: Um, and so, I mean, obviously I think it has value in the movie, but for me personally, it was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like I spent more time filming it than <laughs> I really, you know, it's a wall of figures. It's like, well, you know, you can only do so much with that, but I was there filming it for a long time because I just, it was so cool to see. And um, so I had to it. Added worked, Superman. bro.
1: I'm really glad you put it in the movie. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> I, almost, I paused um, it a couple of times. I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is a dream. Yeah. <laughs> I think
0: what throws people a little bit, though, is that they're not all from the line. Like there are his customs mixed in there, too. Because people have asked about that. They're like, oh, I didn't know they did, you know, whatever, an unmasked Flash, Barry Allen. It's like, well, no, they didn't. Allen, Allen made that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so for me, so I had the superpower the Superman figure when I was a kid and it got this like I played with it and it got destroyed. Um, but a few years ago I ordered one on eBay. Not much hunting involved in fairness, but, right. um, but I but I ordered it and that was so great to have and then at new was I don't know if it was oh it was the same New York Comic Con that I got the Whatever Happened to the Man at Tomorrow. I found the uh, the Clark Kent from the superpowers line, the mail away nice. Clark
2: Kent. Yeah. And I
0: was I was over the wow. I was so excited about that. Yeah. <laughs>
2: So speaking of cons, which cons do you frequent? Because I, living in Brooklyn, I, you know, Rich and Rob and his wife Kim, they're all back in Columbus. So they've come out and stay with me every year. We go to New York Con. I also go to the East Coast Con over at the Meadowsland, Meadowlands in New Jersey. So that one I like. That one is a really good place for back issues. So what um, what cons do you frequent? So I've done, uh, well, I can't say I frequent, but I've done San Diego
0: twice. Uh, oh, that's, Wow. That's, uh, that's probably enough to be honest. I don't know. uh, maybe I'll go one more time. I mean, I don't know, (laughs) but uh, I've done that a couple of times. That's just massive and a huge trip and hard to get a flight in a hotel. Like it's just the whole thing.
1: Um,
0: but I've done New York a bunch of times Now I went, I went a few years in a row, like, I don't know, maybe 2007, eight and nine, like around then. And then I didn't go for a while. And then I've gone the past few years and, um, you know, it's it it is what it is, um, yep. but it's definitely something like for anyone who hasn't gone, and if you're a comics fan, like it's it's worth. You know, again, it's a, who knows what it will look like moving forward, but yeah, uh, you know, it's certainly you know a show to go to. I think to make that pilgrimage uh, to that convention, but um, well, as far as regular shows, um, a, a good buddy of mine who's in the documentary, the guy who owns Undiscovered Realm with all the pops. Yeah. Um, he puts on a convention at the White Plains, uh, the Westchester County Center in White Plains. Uh it's called Undiscovered Realm Comic Con. And um it's funny enough, Alternate Realities was gonna be back. We were gonna come back for one weekend only. We were gonna be a vendor at the convention this year, but it's not happening.
1: Uh no, so man. that that
0: was very disappointing. But that show it's a nice show and it's um you know on the smaller side, but uh, you can really walk around and breathe and it's a nice mix of um, you know panels and dealers and celebrity guests and things like that. So that's one that um, that I, that I like to go to. Um, I've been to C2E2. Uh, I did that just once. Um, that's you know from the same folks who do New York Comic Con, and it's a great show. It's it's very. It has the same feel as New York Comic Con, but it's not nearly as congested. So it's actually right. quite nice. You yeah. know, like if anyone was looking for like NYCC light, I would say C2E2 because I think you still get the same like breadth of 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 content, but you you're not you know you have room to maneuver. it's it's a lot better,
1: yeah, nice. I think that's some of the things that when we go to New York, it's just like this is this doesn't have the just the small feel of an actual comic con. It's more of a pop culture event with video games and anime and fuck they've had cars there before. It's just like a little bit too much. and we're you know, I always liked the smaller, intimate conventions where you could, almost you know it's just exclusively books and like i think that that's the majority of where rob and i's collection got started was a smaller conventions and like dollar bins galore
2: <laughs> people don't understand it, that the dollar bins is where it's at the real gems
1: <laughs> people think it's above
2: people think it's it's hanging up no 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 we are i'm on my hands and these aren't we we're digging through it that's where the drill gems are people just don't know yeah and that's
0: the fun i mean that's the fun of it right i mean uh again even when i was just searching for those two superman issues it's like you know it it was fun having
1: that having that purpose man that that's key um i wanted to kind of shift it and get on get your thoughts on this like obviously comic book movies are at the top right now how do you uh I always try to think in terms of like the movie medium versus the comic book medium. Like I, I'm a huge Alan Moore fan. I've, we've talked about that on the show before and how he hates the movie medium or his work being converted into movies, which I'm sorry to say, Alan, but I, I like seeing your, you know, your books converted. But what do you think about that? Like, obviously do you, do you think the books are better obviously, or the movies are better?
0: I think it depends. I mean, they're you know, it, it's a different medium. So I think, I I definitely think there's space for these stories to exist in the comics medium and the film
1: medium. And so I
0: don't, you know, I don't, I don't have any like philosophical objection to, uh, to comic book movies or stories being adapted or anything like that. Obviously, you know, you hope that they're done well. I mean, I'm not, I don't feel like the movies need to be like so slavish to the source material, you know, like I, certain changes don't bother me so much, although others do. It really, it does depend. I can, as much as I like to think like I'm not that fanboy. I have my moments. It, it, right. it depends. Um, but, uh, but no, I think as long as it's, it really keeps to the, the spirit of the character. Um, yeah. Some I'm, cases like
1: it. nobody, there's people that don't even know that a Dr. Manhattan exists or whatever until they see it in a movie. And then like, kind of like what you said, the retailer should tag team with the movie theaters and really say, did you like the movie? Here's the source material. You can yeah. read these characters. And I know, like you said that, like we have a local comic store that does that. There's a local theater that always lets him set up a table and he sells, you know, memorabilia and comics and pops when there's movies going on a big release or something like that. So I think that's key. So like, if you love the movie, check out the source material.
0: Yeah. And I th- so I think like overall, I-, I think overall the movies and TV shows are a net positive because the awareness yes. of these characters is yes. higher than, than ever. I think, and Lord Retail says this in the movie. Like, you know, there are some people who like are perfectly content. Like, they're only. Uh, I think the. I think this is in the, one of the clips that I filmed. I don't know if it made it. but uh, <laughs> uh, Where he says, like, you know, people might be perfectly content to just experience these characters through the other medium, right? And they don't. They don't right. make the crossover to the comics. But you know, would those people come to comics anyway? You know, I like. I don't know if there's necessarily a loss there. Do you know what I mean? Right. But, Like. Just the fact that people know who Ant-Man is, it's like kind of crazy as a, as a comics fan to contemplate like there's this yeah. widespread awareness. I think it, it definitely helps. I mean, again, you saw in the movie you know the, the, you know lamenting the fact that there's not that that crossover as much as as comics fans and retailers would like um, for, you know for various reasons. But no, I mean, I think overall they're a positive and, and I mean I enjoy them, so for you know if nothing yeah. else, they're entertaining.
1: Yeah. I think this was on your podcast today where you were fielding your questions and stuff like that, but it and you yeah, made yeah. the comment about how production companies instead of having all these extra clips at the end of the movie, it should be like, "Hey, go visit this store like this is where the source material was born from yeah. like, that was a really good comment. I like that answer that you gave.
0: yeah, I mean I just it would be nice to see once, yeah, you know, and if it has no effect, fine, you don't have to do it again, but I don't know i I, I would just be curious to see. If one time you saw that,
1: I mean, and what does it? What does Disney slash Marvel have to lose for trying to sell more books? <laughs> you know what I uh, mean?
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, like the post-credit scenes, like they're they're fun. I enjoy. Yeah. It. I, I wait for them. <laughs> they're fun. But you know, sometimes they're worth the wait, and sometimes they're not. So yep. you know, maybe if there's an instance where they don't have the strongest tag at the end, you know, right. throw that in there. <laughs>
1: What if you just, like, across the screen, it just had, okay, Infinity Wars. What if it just had pictures of the comic books going by on the screen? Like, this is where they came from in honor of the Infinity Gauntlet storyline, blah, 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 issue, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, that would be, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to go check these out.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, you know... When you really do think about it and unpack it a bit, it is kind of frustrating because, again, it doesn't seem like it would take much and that the effect that it could have could be significant.
1: Absolutely.
2: Um, but, yeah, I,
0: I can't answer that.
2: How long did it take you to make the the documentary? It's A long time. <laughs> really? it oh, Really? <laughs>
0: It would so I mean, I did this uh I mean, I have a nine to five day job, so this was something that I had to kind of fit in, and obviously, from a production standpoint, um you know across the country, so there was a lot logistically, i mean, I would yeah. say that, you know, like the scheduling of this and the mapping out of everything was 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 challenging just to you know make everything fit um but i I ran the Kickstarter campaign at the at, towards the end of 2017, um, and then early 2018 was sort of pre-production. That's when I was scheduling everything. I got my new equipment. I tested out everything, and then uh, like spring and summer 2018 is when I filmed the movie. And then editing was like late 2018 into the first quarter of 2019, and then I went back uh, a few months ago and I I did my final edits. So. You know, from the end of 2017 until you know uh, early 2020, that was sort of the the span of this. So it you know it took a while.
1: I love how you did it, where the intro was everybody telling you what their what their first comic book store was. And then I just love how you had every the AR crew throughout the entire movie just testimonials on top of all these other retail. It was it was really well done, dude. You should be proud of yourself. It was really good.
2: Yes, I yeah, it. it really. I felt, is it. Just, I felt that. I'm telling you, I felt it through the television. I mean, if that was your intention, man, you did a great job. I'm you telling you, it. it was so <laughs> awesome. I, I, thank you both a lot for that. That really means a lot because that was. Um, I really debated
0: the alternate realities piece of it. Um, I knew we would begin and end. The movie the way we did but those interludes with the yeah. testimonials that was kind of late in the game like that was one of the last things that i filmed because i was very happy with the footage that i got from the other stores but you know again for me as the filmmaker it's like i wanted I, you know the, the more personal i can make it i think that you know the better the movie is going to be yeah. and so for me it's it's the alternate realities piece of it and then also um you know, throughout the movie, you're hearing about all these challenges that comic shops face. And I mean, what's sort of not being said. It's like, you know, if these challenges aren't addressed and aren't solved, it's like, you know, a store could close or many stores. close. So I felt it was important to kind of show like, okay, this is the other side. Like this is a store that's closed and the effect that it had on
1: on people. So,
0: you know, whether people are consciously connecting that or not, that's fine. But, um, that was sort of the intention behind that. And, um, Yeah, I'm glad that it that it worked for you guys. That really does mean a lot because that was um again I kind of went back and forth on that, but I'm really happy with the role that it
1: plays. It really was the glue that put it all together. It was it was good. Absolutely,
2: because the thing is, you know, the that alternate the AR connection it restored and also put a drive in me to want to seek that again. Because I remember having that when I worked at the comic store in Columbus, Ohio. And the fact that we saw footage of you guys going out to dinner together, man, that really was like, Oh boy, I I want that. And I want that again. I wish I had that again. You know what I
1: mean? It was really the driving force of us to to the three of us to sit down and do this podcast. It was more like just the the love of the comic books and the love of our club that we used to have in my parents' basement Yes, where we would just have debates and we would talk about stories and stuff like that. And it was like, we were only getting together like once a year to go to New York comic-con cause we're so far apart now, but it's like, that's really the motivating factor of, of us trying to do this show and just share it with everybody. So like that, that was, that's pretty much what it was. I just, I, I really resonated with your AR crew and uh, that experience. And it's, it's, you you did a good job. I know I said that a million times, but it really did work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you. And uh, well, it's funny on the podcast side. I mean, that's, that's definitely one of been. That's been one of the really nice things, and definitely a yeah. motivator for me doing my show. Because, uh, you know, like we say in the movie, you know, the friendships have continued, but you know, we don't have those gatherings nearly as regularly as we used right. to. And for me, the, the podcast has been because I've had the AR guys on, like, on the show, on and off over these various seasons that I've been doing it. And you know, that's been in ways that I, can – with at least some of them, they come in and, and we do the podcast. So like, I, I completely get
2: that. Yeah. Well, can you tell me my, my last question for you? Would you ever own your own comic book store?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
0: Yeah, it's um especially with the way the movie ends. I know that's a question that like at screenings and stuff, Like you know, people kept asking that and I, I obviously understand why. Uh, yeah, it's the sort of thing that if the right circumstances aligned, I would be interested in and it is funny, though. So on my podcast last season, we did a whole episode sort of speculating, like, if we were to bring back alternate realities, what what are the ingredients that you would need to have for it to still be alternate realities? And it was an interesting thought exercise because it's like, does it need to be the same location, the same general vicinity? Do you need Steve? How much Steve do you need? <laughs> there are a, a lot of wrinkles to it. But um, but that aside, um yeah i think if if certain circumstances came together i think it would need the right mix of people and there are certain guys within the the ar crew if they said like all right let's do this i would really seriously consider it um obviously there's the financial component i mean like if this documentary like took off through the roof um, and <laughs> I had a bit of
1: money. I hope it around. does, man. It's, like, it's really good.
0: yeah, I don't know. i would uh, I would consider it. There's definitely not anything that um, you know i'm I'm undertaking that I have any <laughs> immediate plans to undertake. But in an ideal scenario, um, yeah, I think it would be in- you know, it's funny because it's like I've talked to all these retailers now, and I think I've learned a lot. Yeah. And a part of me would just be curious. It's like, can I take everything I've learned and, you know, do I have the recipe for a successful store or not? Do I think I know more than, more than I actually do? I don't right. know. Uh, so we'll see.
1: Okay. Well, P- personal question. What were we going to say? Yes. Personal question. What was it like holding Action Comics number one? Yes.
0: <laughs> it was um, – it's really funny. Please because, tell me you have um, a
1: picture of you holding it, like framed on your wall or something. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, not framed, but I do. I do have. I do have a photo.
0: Um, it, it's funny because if you had told me that uh, I would have the reaction I did, I would have been said, eh, "I don't know. I've seen photos of it and things like that." But you really felt the weight of it, the history of it, yeah. um, in a way that I, I didn't expect I would. And again, as a Superman, I mean. Even if it had been, you know, like Detective Twenty Seven, that still would have meant a lot. But right. the fact that it was Superman, um, it was re- it was really something. Like it was a cool moment, and I I remain, uh, you know, appreciative to to Metropolis that they, you know, uh, you know, dug it out of the vault. And it it's funny because, like, you know, again, I've I've seen this footage over and over and over and over, but when we've had screenings. And we get to that scene, even an audience with no like, with no comics fans, you hear the guest <gasps> when he says, <said>, uh, <laughs> and, so uh, and even at, at Torpedo as well, like the vault and all yeah. that stuff. Like yeah. People, again, even if you're not a comics fan, it's like you can't believe the, the prices on some of these books. But yeah, Holding the Action Wand was definitely a very, very cool moment. That was a highlight for sure. I
1: paused it and told my wife to get in the room. I'm like, look. Look at this lucky bastard. Look, look what he's getting ready to get. What, what, played it, and he pulls it out, and you're like, oh, wow. I was like, oh. I always think of, like, uh, I'm assuming you watch the comic book men show, like, when Walt got to hold it and, like, smell it. Like, that, to me, would have been, like, I just want to smell the paper and the ink. Come on, man. (laughs) Yeah, I know. If only it weren't sealed up.
3: But, uh, right but what did yeah, you say no, that one we went for um, like
1: two million how much did it go for yeah, yeah two million
0: it was, it was over two million um and i mean i was lucky because they they've dealt a number of action ones over the years but it's not like they just always have them lying right. around <laughs> so, right uh and that, like that one had just sold so i think it was just in the vault until it, it could be delivered so uh you know if the timing had been different that might not have been in the movie uh, so yeah, I, that was a really really cool moment as a Superman fan and a comic collector. Um, yeah, it was great.
1: So I'm I'm assuming that your number one superhero is definitely Superman. Then yes. Yes. My guy. Awesome. Marvel. Yeah, Rich
2: is yeah. he's he's Rich is Superman, Rob is Batman, and I'm mostly Marvel.
1: You're Ant Man. Mostly <laughs> Marvel. all right. <laughs> I was waiting on you to jump on that Ant-Man comment.
2: I do I do love me some Hank Pym. You know, these kids today, you know, they don't know crap. I mean, they really don't. They just think it's just Scott Lang and just that. They don't know crap. You know what I mean? Hank Pym is such a rich history. You know what I'm saying? That's these kids are crazy. <laughs> rich,
0: what's your do you have a favorite either Superman story or era of the character?
1: Dude, I, you hit it on the head like cuz I didn't, we, we've talked about it on the show. It was Superman 75 that really drew Rob and I into wanting to collect. And it was, it was all the nineties books, man. And like, I've gone back and like, I remember this issue and it's, it you know, it's it somewhat doesn't stand the test of time. But like I said before, like when rebirth started and Dan Juergens was back on the book and it was like a blast from the past and I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's more of like, you know, it was Death of Superman, uh, and uh, it was a whole Nightfall with Batman. Like right after that era is probably it for me. Like just because it was like our, you know, that's our starting ground. Like the flags planted in the ground. Like that's that's my starting point, and you know, I've been doing it ever since. Really, I mean, we t- I took a few years off, but it was once I figured out Rebirth was going to happen, I, I started to pull again, and obviously I was, you know a little bit more financially stable, (laughs) you know, got married, had kids. And then the comic collection went bye-bye. But it's like, it's been fun to really start collecting again and then share this on the show with Mark and Rob and stuff like that. So yeah, I'd say nineties, like right around that time. And I'm still, I'm, I've been going back and rereading like, I read Watchmen every year, and I've been starting to read. I I read uh, V for Vendetta. I'm a huge Alan Moore fan, but like I've been reading his Swamp Thing, and I'm I really want to get back into like the '80s up into the '90s again. So that's kind of where I'm at. Gotcha. Very
0: nice. Yeah, I mean, like those, like you were saying, the like those first impressions of a character, I think are incredibly formative. Like I just I don't think it's a, a it's a like a, a shock that Superman is my favorite character. Like that the Superman was my favorite comic, my first comic um so those first impressions like are so are so formative and then mark i will say even though i'm a dc guy at heart um spider-man is one of my favorite characters uh and nice. daredevil is up there daredevil's up there as well and daredevil i mean you talk about I'm loving Ron, that
1: book right now man sorry yeah
0: <laughs> i ha- so i haven't read any of the current stuff but I, I like i'm years behind at this point but like from you know the kevin smith stuff to Bendis run to brubaker i mean that character had such a consistent. Uh, just such a high caliber of creators uh, on yes. that book. Um, so, so I do, I do dabble on the Marvel side. Even nice. With DC is where my heart
2: is. <laughs> nice, nice. I do, I dabble on some DC also. I, I'm like, I'm again, I'm primarily Marvel, but my DC is really. I'm a huge Birds of Prey fan. Huge gotcha. Birds of Prey fan. Like not of the I'm movie. T- not of the movie. <laughs> not of the
0: movie. Yeah, I was not. I was not a huge fan of the movie.
2: You no, know, mostly, like, late 90s Birds of Prey when Chuck Dixon was writing it. That's my favorite era of the
1: book. Okay. So, yeah. Anthony, do you have, like, a favorite uh, creator uh, or writer, like, tag team? Like, obviously, like, Mark Wade, Alex Ross, Kingdom Come. Obviously, I, I, I don't think they're ever going to work together again from what I understand about them working on that book, but like Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee and Hush and stuff like that. Is there ever a, a favorite combo that you had?
2: Oh, that's a good question.
0: Uh, nothing's immediately jumping out. Um, I mean, when you mentioned Jeff Loeb, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, uh, and actually going oh, back yeah. to well, both DC and Marvel, I mean, that would they would definitely be up there. Uh, Long Halloween, Dark Victory, Spider-Man Blue is one of my favorite Spider-Man stories, Daredevil Yellow. Um, I never got around to Captain America: White, and I, from what I read, I don't know that it was uh, that <laughs> well received. But uh, I definitely enjoyed <laughs> the earlier books, uh, the earlier miniseries uh, in that line. Uh, but that would be a combo for so sure. That would be up there. Nice for me.
1: I always think of Tim Sale. When uh, yeah. did you ever watch the NBC show Heroes with his art in that show? Do you remember that show?
0: So I watched the first season and it was fine, but it didn't. I didn't. I didn't get with it after. It did.
1: It definitely didn't pay off. But like, I just remember seeing his art in that show, and I was like, I I know who that is.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, I remember that. I remember when the heroes, the when the graphic
2: novels were coming out at the the store. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Adaptations that they did. What What are some of your shows that you watch now, or some of your favorite comic book based shows? Uh, so I've.
0: Kind of lost interest in the Arrowverse, though. Yep, uh, me too. I, mean, uh, so I watched on uh, Sweet uh, Christmas, Lord. <laughs> so I felt like Crisis was actually a nice, a nice point to kind of wind down my yeah. viewing. Uh, you know, I watched the Arrow series finale, bid farewell. Great. Uh, um, I gave up on Flash. Uh, gave up on Batwoman. Uh, still watching Supergirl. And uh, I'm behind on the season of Legends, but I will catch up on that. Um, I just think, you know, and this is not, you know, even that hot of a take. I think, you know, you, you'll hear this a lot, but uh, I really think they would benefit so much from shorter seasons. Yes. Um, they have so many shows, at, you know, you like five series <laughs> and they do 20 episodes. It's like, it's too much. It's yeah. like they're worried um, that
1: somebody's going to catch up with them. And it's like, there's no way anybody's going to catch up with you. Slow the hell down. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And it's like, and again, it's all from the same, you know, most of the same producers and everything. And so I feel like at a certain point, like I overall, you know, I've enjoyed them for the most part. um, And I appreciate what they've been able to do, like on a television budget and everything. But at a point, like you just start to see the same formulas repeating. um,
2: Right.
0: And uh, yeah, so I've definitely lost interest. um, But I, you know, I, I certainly have watched. I was a fan of Gotham. Uh, you know, which I know people were sort of
3: <laughs> split
0: on <laughs> right. that, but uh, but I liked it, I thought it had its moments for sure. Smallville is my all time favorite, uh, my yeah, guy, Superman fan, my guy,
3: uh,
1: that was it for me, my guy, Smallville is number one, and you stuck it out to the very end. Of the didn't you? I caught reasons... so much shit for sticking around for that show.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I remember. Listen, there was a time where like everyone was watching, and then there was a time where <laughs> they weren't. <laughs> Uh, but no, I was there all the way through. Um, yeah, Smallville for sure. Uh, number
2: one. Nice. Yeah.
0: But I think that's actually one of the other reasons why the Arrowverse is kind of like not blowing me away because I feel like we've seen yeah. a lot of the same types of like Smallville did a lot of this first and, uh, you know, maybe they didn't have all the costumes and powers and everything, but they, a lot of the same themes and plots and so I feel like we've seen already so like a lot of times we'll be watching and I'll turn
1: to my wife like they like, did that on season three of Smallville man shit yeah, <laughs> yeah dude I exactly. did not tune in for the crisis crossover but I know we talked on this a couple shows ago but like I definitely would have tuned in if Michael Rosenbaum was back as Lex Luthor I know that Tom Welling came back for it but I would have logged in for that <laughs>
0: yeah I so I think this is going to be a whole episode of the Superman show that I do because I was going back to being a fanboy. I was, I was enraged by, uh, their, their, their depiction of, uh, Smallville's Clark in the crisis crossover. I just felt it, it so missed the mark.
1: Um, I I just saw like the clips and stuff on Tom Welling stuff, but it was like, what he gave up his powers or some shit. Was that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. No, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Like, hey, it's a- Tom, you can come back, man. You don't even have to do any superpower stuff. We're just gonna say you you're, you're just gonna chop some wood on the farm. <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, it's a you know it was the sort of thing where I guess I will I'll do a quick rant. Um, P- please. It was the sort of thing <laughs> where like I feel like if if you if you took Clark from like almost any episode of Smallville throughout the run, like almost any episode mm-hmm. in any season. What they did in Crisis would be a fitting end for that that version of the character. Like uh, for most of the show, he just wanted a uh, normal life on the farm.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: But by the end of that show, he had figured out how to embrace both sides of himself. Yep. And so I just felt like what they did in Crisis like completely undermined where he got by the end of his journey on Smallville. Yeah. It's like completely the whole show it. Is about him getting to that point. Yeah. It's, it it drove me nuts, and it was like it was heartbreaking because I was so excited man down this thing was coming back like i can't believe
2: like we're gonna get new smallville again and it
0: was <laughs> i wish they hadn't done it to
1: be right honest. all right mark you got anything else
2: no i gotta tell you i you really hit the nail on the head for me we i you've answered all my questions you I, again i can't thank you enough for taking the time out and talk with us and you know uh, rich usually comes every year rich and rob and kim usually come every year for new york con but we don't know what that's going to be like but maybe right. sometimes we can At some point, maybe in the future.
1: Yeah, no, that would be great. Okay, on a side note here, on a side note, we're big t shirt guys. What is the likelihood of getting an AR t shirt?
2: (laughs) Or my country, or my uh, comic club, uh, the the shirt that you wore for the the documentary. Where can we get one of those? So,
0: unfortunately, so like, I don't. uh, So, the story of the shirts is. like, back in 2007, I think, Steve had alternate reality shirts made. They had the AR logo on the front gotcha. and uh, the, just the store's website on the back. So that's the first iteration of an alternate reality shirt. Those are all gone. Like, he ordered them for the staff and customers, and those were all given out. Um, I had the My Comic Shop Country shirts made uh, specifically for Kickstarter backers, and I had gotcha. ordered them to to a piece so that there weren't any left of those. Then, um, yeah. the really exclusive ones, uh, Bill, one of the guys from the store, he does one of the testimonials. He, he speaks the most about alternate realities in the movie. Um, he's like an amateur shirt maker. So <laughs> <shirts that> have, <laughs> there are shirts that have the AR logo on the front, and then on the back, like you, you see it in the movie. Um, it's uh, like an image of Superman. And so what Bill did was he took the old alternate reality store bags—
1: Nice. and he made
0: those onto the backs of the shirts um so i have a few of those but again like he just made those
1: <laughs> like gotcha. for,
0: for, for a few of us so i don't so i guess that's a long-winded way of saying like i don't have a stockpile of these shirts <laughs> gotcha so I, okay. I would happily send them to you if i could um but i but i don't have any but I, you know if there's enough demand maybe we'll do a line of ar shirts or something in the
1: future <laughs> heck yeah man all right, well, dude, I well, really do appreciate you taking again. the time, buddy. And the movie is is amazing, and uh, I love your podcast. I'll keep listening to that. And I'm uh, here. Um, no, thank
0: I, you so much. I really it was great meeting and speaking with with both you, and I, I appreciate all the love for the movie. And thanks so much for having me on like this. I really had a great time doing this.
2: Awesome. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Enjoy your evening. All right, thank you. Have a great night. You See too, you buddy. Bye. Appreciate right. it. So that was our guest, Anthony Desiato. And be sure to check out his podcast, My Comic Shop History. Awesome, awesome interviews. A great guy. I'm glad we were able to get him on. So again, bravo! Shout out to Rich Wagner for reaching out to him. And his podcast is excellent. Really great stuff. So be sure to check it out.
3: Um, I mean, really nice job, fellows. Obviously, I'm part of me is very sad that I wasn't there, but I'm um, having a valid reason. I think my my biggest disappointment is I didn't have the opportunity to just uh, see Mark fanboy out so that was uh, i
2: did fanboy yeah i did was, remember was, I, I did i was like thank you so much you're his so goosebumps
3: great, have you're goosebumps so.
2: i did i did i <laughs> have fanboyed out I,
3: so. so i think uh it's pretty down to earth dude um represents kind of himself as well as the industry well and uh, i will have to check out uh, his podcast. I have not had the pleasure of uh, checking that out yet, but I'm looking to diversify uh, some of my podcast stuff, so I'll look into that. Nice job, fellas.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm on actually on vacation this week, and I've been doing a shit ton of uh, yard work and um, cleaning up the house and stuff, so I was able to really binge listen <laughs> if I've ever heard that expression before. Binge listen his uh, podcast, and he does a really nice job. So uh, Yeah, I would highly recommend checking out his podcast and uh, we couldn't be more grateful for him uh, coming on the show. We had some technical difficulties um, a couple nights before when we were planning both- on interviewing, and uh, it all in all, it, it ended up working out. So uh, we, uh, once again, really thank him for coming on the show. All right, so let's uh, let's turn our direction to the top 10 again. So we are on number two. Rob, did you want to start us off, man?
3: Sure. So I know my top 10 has been kind of, Um, wacky like sometimes it'll be like a comic book story like you know Azrael 40 that I can't stand the story but it just has some sentimental reasons Um, so I know this isn't a cop out but I actually think very highly of the Alex Ross crisis on infinite earth trade Um, I'm going to rank that as number two and one of the reasons I'm not like citing a specific issue of the crisis Mm
1: -hmm.
3: is because that's how I originally read the story you know, like that's how I, I remember reading that in high school in like study hall, and just realizing, oh man, Hawk and Dove just died. Oh man, Flash just died. Oh man, Supergirl just died. Like it was just a huge, a huge story. Obviously, right? Um, it, it's kind of a cheap route out, but I find that 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 trade in particular, not just just because of Alex Ross's artwork on that cover, is just fucking amazing yeah so much so that I got you that poster I don't think that poster is hanging anywhere in your house which is very disappointing but
1: man I uh, I thought that I was going to have so much room in my office to hang that but uh, we got so many goddamn comic book boxes that it fills up the entire wall of this one room and uh, that was pretty much going to be where I was going to place it until I can find another means to to find it I wonder if that needs to just go on the ceiling (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I do. I I did just on. I did just look at that poster the other day, and uh, it is a very very. It is a a beautiful work of art. So um, yeah. I would like to get uh, I would like to get it custom framed and mounted somewhere. Maybe it can go in your basement. I see some empty wall space down there. It's like an eight foot poster frame, man. Yeah, it's it's it probably be a 500 bucks wrapped up in just getting it professionally framed because it's so big it's it's like a fucking yard and a half long it's 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 a nice piece yeah. um so yeah. mark what's your number last things i bought on ebay <laughs> right <laughs> right no no i don't think that's a cop-out dude like that story was uh it was the first real game changer that we can recall of you know the dc universe getting redone so no, I can agree with it. Granted, he didn't do, uh, he didn't do the whole story. It was still George Perez and Marv Wolfman, but the cover alone, you know, brought it to the forefront because we were such Alex Ross fans that uh, right. we bought it. And uh, I ended up getting another copy of the trade at like half price books for the kids. That was it was like two dollars. I was like, fuck it, I'll buy it. So was no, it I'm, the Alex Ross one? Yeah, it was the same one that I got because I got one that's signed by him when we met him. So I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'll, I'll read this to the kids someday. It's, it's, it's obviously still a lot over their head. It's a very detailed story. Marv Wolfman is, he kind of leaves he's no like rock unturned. He's like a Tom Clancy of comedy. Right. Writers. He kind of leaves no rock unturned. There's no, uh, I mean, you may have questions, but uh, he, he covered it. You just missed it <laughs> in all the great detail.
3: Um, yep. So that, uh, that's kind of my number two in this top 10
1: countdown. Nice, I like it. Mark, what's your number two, buddy?
2: My number two is actually, it's Birds of Prey, Manhunt, it's a mini-series. It's four issues, where you see Black Canary team up with Huntress and Oracle, and they go across the entire earth. I mean, they travel all over the world to stop a guy who's smuggling guns, And it just happens to be a guy that all three of them had dealings with. Huntress and Black Canary dealt with him romantically, and Catwoman dealt with him on a professional level. And it describes each of their interactions with him and how he wronged them in some way. And all three of them team up to take him down. And in this issue, they face not only him, who's a metahuman, they also go up against Lady Shiva, who you guys know she is the deadliest martial artist in...
1: All of DC. The mother of Cassandra Kane, the bat girl from the what, Fallout from Cataclysm, right?
2: Correct. So that's uh, my number two. It was a great miniseries. I had I had no idea that the four of them were going to team up, you know? And so just from the cover, it's an awesome cover. It shows all three of them in a pink Mustang. And you just don't know how the issue is going to go. And each of them, it's just, it's, it's an awesome, awesome. Um, team up and that's my number four birds of prey man
1: Hunt. i remember you covering that on the show before and uh i think that that kind of wasn't that the first real uh series that you really got birds of prey wise that really solidified your love of those characters and stuff
2: absolutely because typically before that birds of prey only did one shots yes and this is their first consecutive um issue so that was um when I really got into them like hardcore. So yeah.
1: So uh when so Birds of Prey, Manhunt, when was that released? It was released in nineteen
2: ninety six.
1: Okay, Chuck Dixon. Yep. Chuck Dixon.
2: One of my favorites.
1: Alright, so my turn. My number two is Bone Number fifty five from June two thousand and four. The final issue of that whole run. Um, I remember... Dragon the, cover? Yep. The great red dragon cover. I remember getting this, and it it really felt... I just recently reread it, uh, probably three days ago. I just remember it wrapped it up quick, and uh, I was just heartbroken that the story was ending. And I was heartbroken that uh, Phone Bone was going to go back to Boneville with his cousins and not stay with the new Queen uh, Thorn. And uh, I just remember I was devastated that the story was over and we weren't going to get any more Bone. But uh, it was a great wrap up. It was a great uh, story. And we've touched on this immensely on the show that it is such a nice breath of fresh air to, to see what the other, other stories in the comic book medium has to offer. And, uh, bone 55 really, really has a special place in my heart. Cause it was the culmination of that story that we started. We weren't collecting it when it first came out, but it was pretty close. And then to finally see the, the conclusion. And, uh, I want to say it was, let me think. Um, A few years ago, Jeff did another continuation to the story of basically the cousins going back, uh, you know, their journey back to Boneville. It was, uh, yeah, it was 2016. He did a uh, continuation. It was called uh, Coda, and I highly recommend that anybody who's read the series, if you haven't picked this up, I would definitely do it. It's just a new Bone chapter is basically what he says from a few years back, and that was really fun. So uh, Bone55 from June 2004, is my number two pick. 2004. Good God, man. I know. It feels like just yesterday that book ended, didn't it? I know. Well, fellas, another great episode. You guys got anything else you want to say? I'm good. Looking forward to to talking to you guys again. Absolutely. Uh, I'm
3: looking forward to completing this countdown that's been going on for a number of episodes, so looking forward to it.
1: Kind of a uh, a teaser here. So uh, after the conclusion of the top ten, we're gonna do a uh, who would win segment, and we'd really like to get people's feedback. Uh, we'll kind of we'll kind of do. I think we're gonna do an episode. We'll announce who we're gonna match up because just goes back to the roots of our of our core co- RMR comic club where we were just having debates, and I think it'll make it really really interesting. Uh, so yeah, I, I would highly recommend reach out to uh, heroeshomebase home base at gmail.com or shoot us a post on uh, our Facebook page and, uh, let us know who you think would win. And, uh, you know, it could be, it could come down to, you know, a listener deciding who would win between the three of us. Cause you know, I don't want Mark to be outnumbered. <laughs> not at
2: all let us know who you guys want to see do battle
1: absolutely make some suggestions man so i think we're going to dig deep into our 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 real our real roots of dc versus marvel i think we'll start there and we'll uh we'll we'll dive deep in some of the matchups there and why we think they were smart or why they were shitty and uh we can expand upon that so uh don't hesitate to shoot us a shoot us an email or a post on Facebook. I, I I can't wait to see what this this segment has to offer for us. And uh again, I thank uh Anthony for uh taking the time out of his busy schedule, promoting his movie and his podcast and coming on our show and uh really do appreciate him. So until next time. This is Rich.
3: This is Mark. And this is
1: Rob. Like us on your uh podcast uh app of choice, write us a comment,
3: give us a review Um, we are really grateful that you are willing to listen to the three of us ramble and interview people uh, sometimes for more than an hour because you have a lot of options so thank you again
2: Thank you for listening and supporting this RMR production.